everybody. We are on season eight, episode 12, and today I have Matt Ram back with me. Hi, Matt. Hi, how's it going? Everything is going very, very well, thank you. I'm currently wrapped up in a massive dressing gown, and um, <laughs> I think I'm looking forward to Well, obviously, we always record slightly out of sequence, so there's rugby on tonight, so I'm very happy. And um, I think Alan's going to be cooking us a burger dinner as oh. well. So I know I'm completely completely happy for tonight very very looking forward to, to to the day coming to an end so i can switch oh, off how are you how are you matt being being looked after one and truly well I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad I've had a, uh, a bit of a problem with the uh, osteoarthritis of the feet this week which has kind of um laid me uh, laid me literally immobile for a for a few days and very very painful um, but um, it's getting over it. So uh, you know, on, on, onwards and upwards. It's it's rare I get attacks, but occasionally, yeah. and then they come along. And um, yeah, hats off to all of those people, especially ex sports sports men and women, who um, were never told when uh, oh, it's great to get out on the park and the playing fields and play play sports seven seven. Yeah. Um, and but you know, 30, 40 years later, my goodness, do you pay for it? Oh, no. So I was going to say, you've just completely encouraged the nation of people to stop being trying stop to get it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but but what's really good, I mean, I'm really sorry that you've been uncomfortable. What's really good, oh, though, no. is that the subject today is arthritis. Well, we I know. Folks... <laughs> that was very strange when, when the subject came up. I thought, oh, goodness, here we go. Um, but Okay. Um... Hey, I've home. somehow psychically and sort of like triggered a flare <laughs> of some sort, so I do apologise. Okay. So we won't we won't list anything else. I'll I'll hide all future subjects so that you you don't have to get <laughs> a, a target of everything. But so, yeah, today we're going to be talking about arthritis. Everybody, we are probably going to be focusing more on rheumatoid arthritis because there's so much to learn and so different an outcome for each type of arthritis that it is really important to, to take one as um as its own. And um, but this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So everybody, just to go through a little bit of the background in terms of arthritis, so not all of the things, not every stat out there, because there's a significant amount of there, but as I say, we're going to be focusing really upon the rheumatoid arthritis, which tends to be one of the ones where, you know, it, it is a it affects the body more than some of the other arthritises. Now, that is obviously individual to each person as well, I must say that, um, but um, it's it's got more kind of going on across the whole body generally. Um, so... Uh, and Matt will explain that. So osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis are the most common forms of arthritis. So in the UK, we roughly have about 10 million people in the UK with arthritis. And it's about 8 million of those have um, osteoarthritis. So about, you know, even though rheumatoid arthritis, you know, we can't, they're not necessarily 2 million people with that because there are other ones as well that we need to be sort of like keeping an eye on. And sometimes data when people classify different conditions, sometimes they fit under the arthritis thing, sometimes they kind of slip out of it depending upon who's looking at it. Um, but the majority of people um, with arthritis tend to be um, in their late 40s or older, but it can be any age. As Matt was saying, some of the arthritis are more linked to how um, physically active you've been. That could be through sports. It could be through um, work. Um, it could be some of like if you've been someone who's a stay-at-home parent that, or just someone who's stay-at-home in a relationship, Some maybe some certain tasks that have caused certain um uh, I want to say pressures in different parts of the body um, can uh, can start to get a little bit uncomfy as we get older. 
Now, rheumatoid arthritis is three times, didn't say that right, I don't know why I said the word times, they're so strangely, three times more likely in women than men. And as very, very offside tangent thing here, Nikki Bray, who's the chief underwriter at Zurich, she shared a post recently, um, so sorry, beginning of 2024, on the, she shared it on social media, about um, autoimmune disease, um, which is rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease, and how it's potentially linked to um, the X chromosome. Um, which is or something on the X chromosome tends to have some kind of connection to it, which is, is really very, very interesting. And obviously insights like that can really help um, the medical profession and obviously the insurance world all work together to try and uh, make improvements and understand the condition more. So when we're saying that arthritis, there is a lot of different variations. I'm going to list some here. I'm sure there's quite a few more. Um, but just some of the ones that we might have heard of are things like gout, cervical arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, cervical spondylitis, fibromyalgia, lupus, enteropathic arthritis, reactive arthritis, secondary arthritis, and polymyalgia rheumatica. Um, so they're sort of like the main ones that tend to be looked at. Um, I say there will be more than that, but they're the ones that have probably the the most people diagnosed with them. And some of them do, uh, we do have podcast episodes from them in the past. So do feel free to have a look through previous ones. If you yourself have one of these conditions, or if you maybe, if you're in an advisor world, you have a client and um, you want to have a bit of insight into what they can mean when it comes to insurance. So to start off, Matt, I know we are going to be focusing on the rheumatoid side of things. Tell us what uh, rheumatoid arthritis is and what it's what it's doing to the body, please. Okay, thank you. Uh, you you've certainly covered some of the highlights there. Um, so I'll be repeating a little bit, um, but I'll I'll go for it anyway and, and see where it can, uh, where we get to. So as you've already mentioned, um, rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease, and for those who haven't heard some of the previous podcasts. This is where your immune system attacks the cells that line your joints by mistake. That's, it, it seems by mistake seems a little bit, well, what, what does that really mean? But unfortunately, the why is, is still not clear. Um, taking Nikki, Nikki Bray's uh, research paper to one side, but it's, it's still not clear why the immune system actually attacks your joints in this particular way. What it actually does is to attack the thin layer of cells uh, that covers your joints. And um, for those who like uh, uh, complicated medical terms, it's called a synovium. Um, I've certainly had um, on the continuing theme of mat and his osteoarthritis, a condition called synovitis, which again, itis, think inflammation um, and what that does is to, whilst that thin layer of cells covers the joints themselves, the joints become sore and inflamed, and that releases chemicals into the blood that can damage nearby bones, cartilages, tendons, and ligaments. And if it's not treated relatively early on, and what I mean by that is years, not weeks or days, uh, you can get um, damage to the bones, you get bone erosion and joint deformity. Um, certainly, I haven't come across cases as bad as that that have hit my desk mm. for a very, very long time. What, sorry, what, I, what I mean as bad as that, where there is 
obvious bone erosion and joint deformity. Catherine, have you had any cases that have come your way that way where, where um, severe cases of rheumatoid? Um, I think I think we possibly have done, um, but yeah. I'm, I'm not. I can't remember any off the top of my head. And yeah. I think what's really interesting about rheumatoid is that when you know when we're looking at arthritis, that you know, obviously, if you had like osteoarthritis versus rheumatoid arthritis, I think what can be quite surprising, and I was hinting at before, is that it's such a spectrum. Um, but even though I think if you were given, if you if you were asked sort of like which one's in a sense worse to have, you know, in terms of which one's going to be more likely to be more painful affecting the body the most you would tend to go rheumatoid arthritis i think out of the two you could correct me if i'm wrong matt no no but no, the, no. I'm, I'm, but I'm then <laughs> but then obviously you can have some of rheumatoid arthritis you know where it's affecting maybe one knuckle yeah. in the hand and but then you could have some of osteoarthritis where it's it's affecting them significantly they're having to have operations to try and support the joints you know that they, they might not be able to walk without some kind of mobility aids so it's, yeah. it's so strange in in terms of when we are looking at things but you know in you know we've, we've certainly had very strong cases but we in in terms of a lot of the strong cases we don't as, as, in a sense just classify that as um what's going on with the joints, but a lot of the time we're quite led by the medication that's in use for our company and what we're doing to sort of establish how strong we think um, the condition is presenting itself. Um, but does, that, does that make sense when we're saying it oh, like it does, that? It, ab ab absolutely. I mean, I think with um, you hit on it in your, uh, your, in your introduction um, when you said the rheumatoid arthritis, uh, people often or people often think bones and joints and so on and so mm. forth. Um, but of course, it, it, the, the uh, problems that rheumatoid arthritis can cause are far, uh, can be far beyond that. Just, just an inverted commas, I have to say, not, not belittling rheumatoid yeah. or problems with joints. Um, it, they, they can be found in other parts of the body. Um, so, in terms of seriousness, and what I mean by seriousness is how it impacts your mortality. Yes. Then... So for anybody who isn't in the insurance space, sorry. Um, <laughs> so the mo mortality, um, unfortunately, it does mean the um, when something affects your mortality, it's it's the the likelihood that it is um, you're having a reduced um, chance okay. of living in a sense for a very long time. It's, it's a reduced lifespan essentially. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, and and um, rheumatoid is is much more serious in that with that in mind than say osteoarthritis, which by definition osteo is much more bone related. Okay, well, it, certainly joint as well, but we won't go into that too much at this particular point in time. You've already mentioned um, that in terms of increased risks, sadly, if you're a woman. Um, there is, it seems that the studies do show uh, an increased risk there. Family his history of rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, some studies say, think that, that, or say, suggest that that's, uh, if the family history is, is it's a very low risk and mm. really that proven. However, I've seen another study which says if you smoke and you have a positive family history, then you're more likely to suffer from rheumatoid arthritis. Catherine, yeah. as you've already said, um, age, much more common in middle-aged people. 
um, which is an interesting one because arthritis, you tend, if, sorry, osteoarthritis, you tend to think of folk who are a little older, maybe yeah. middle age. Middle age, what does that mean, by the way? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what middle age means. I don't know. I was going to say, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to guess either because you could massively insult um, any side of the. <laughs> that's true. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm, you're all right with me, Catherine, because as you know, I'm old age, so you're okay with me. <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't, um, yeah, get into the middle age debate. And also overweight, because um, it can, yeah. can increase your risk of rheumatoid. Um, symptoms, uh, some very obvious ones that, that have uh, will come up will be of no surprise to anybody, bear in mind what you and I have just said. So rheumatoid can cause pain and swelling, stiffness in the joints. It usually affects the uh, hands, feet, feet and wrists, but it can, as you said, cause uh, problems in, in other parts of the body um, and even very general symptoms. And then we get back into this debate. Well, goodness, it can be one of a thousand different issues, medical issues. But the, the old um, issues that come up time and time again, such as tiredness, can show yeah that you have uh, you, you, you're suffering from at least early stages of uh, ri um RI? sorry just as we'll check ri so, so uh, that's a very good one what's it what? <laughs> can i pass on that one just for a second okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, now 40 percent of uh, rheumatoid arthritis sufferers may have symptoms that uh, do not even involve the joints oh so, well, that's very um joints scary is what i think i might say when i when i came across that stat so this this disease doesn't necessarily manifest itself to, in the start as a joint problem but it, it you might not have a joint problem at all um but if you think of the itis and the inflammation and because going back a little bit to what i was saying that the um this this medical disorder um damages mm us because it releases chemicals into the uh, into the body yeah um, other areas which i think you, you touched on a little bit yourself was have been the skin itself yes dry eyes the eyes um chest pain so what we're looking at there is a the heart and lungs can be impacted yeah kidneys salivary glands nerve tissue bone marrow so there's an awful lot of um, areas within the body that this uh, these chemicals can damage. So if you think of yourself of osteoarthritis, um, most of those wouldn't be impacted at all. Um, yeah. But with rheumatoid, that's the big difference. Um, some interesting complications, uh, probably... Uh, people may have come across or maybe grandparents have, have complained about rheumatoid nodules you yeah. come across those or heard of those yeah i so have come the, across them i can't off the top of my head i'm a, i'm not sure but I've, i know i've come across them <laughs> okay um well certainly these 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 are hard lumps that um that, that appear under the skin and usually around the joints yeah. and certainly um i in my time with my family going back a couple of generations this they, they used to show me these things um and they, you know they can be quite large it has to be said but um i do remember them certainly and that, and that is one of the complications again impacting the joints themselves with these these nodules um we've already talked about dry eye and mouth 
Now, infections is an interesting one because infections, obviously, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna have problems with your 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 skin, your eyes, your salivary glands, and so on and so forth, um, you are likely to get infections. Let's be honest. But I think really this comes more from the treatment that is used, and um, I'll go on to some of the treatments a little bit later on. Um, and really, really, methotrexate, which is kind of the go-to first medicine for the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, it, it lowers, if you, if you think, right at the very beginning, I was saying about the immune system attacking the cells, methotrexate and the other treatments calm down, I can use it, uh, use that term, calm down your immune system so it it, it is not as fierce, it doesn't attack everything um, as uh, as it much as it was. The problem with that is, with the immune system being compromised by treatment, you're going to get more infections. And methotrexate is, is a pretty, can be, depending on how much you take of it, pretty powerful drug, to say the least. That's really interesting. So we, we come across methotrexate quite a bit. Yeah. And, you know, we, we know sort of like that. And there's some other, there's some biological ones as well, isn't there, the medications. And and we know that if someone says to us one of these names, it's the case of, right, so actually, it, as an advisor, it's a really, really good indication when you say to people, what medications do you have, you, you know, to, to get the names of it. And then maybe do a quick Google and Google will say, oh, well, this is a type of, uh, you know, so, um, so, so type of drug or this kind of drug. And it, it gives you a really good, sort of like account from the start of how strong how strongly medicated this person needs to be to be able to cope with the with the condition which which then also then helps the underwriters to understand right if they're needing that then it probably means that you know they're that they're maybe they can be that they're very unwell or maybe you know they're unwell but they're 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 managing to cope without having to have that the really intense medication which can then help to understand which insurer is going to be okay from the start um, you know, what the potential ratings might be in terms of the premium. So when we talk about ratings, we're saying that, you know, with, with certain health conditions or other things as well, such as work, um, sorry, the type of occupation someone has or, or maybe sometimes travel that they do, that sometimes insurers will say, well, actually, we can't offer you it at this price, but if we, we're just going to increase the price a bit and we'll be able to, to offer you the insurance. So that's just what that means. But um, really interesting to hear about methotrexate, no, the hearing that is to do with calming down the the system but as you say it's it's that's obviously going to be as you say helping but at the same point potentially making more subject to um obviously other like maybe colds or things like that because your autoimmune system isn't kicking in as much but i think it's important for people when they think about this is the fact that the body's already because it's already it's, it's like you've said it's, it's kind of attacking itself so some of the fights that the body has to to fight off infections is being diverted mm -hmm. to sort of like counteracting the way that it's attacking itself so it's already lower because of the fact that it's 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 not at its full system because it's having to defend itself against itself in some ways so that's that's <laughs> why the yeah yeah it's, it's it's kind of like so so that's why the the chance of infections is is potentially high so i imagine uh, Matt, maybe i'm possibly taking from a bit of side tangent here so i do apologize but so i imagine if there was things like um maybe like recurrent um, bronchitis or like um, regular instances of pneumonia, um, that that could potentially influence. I mean, for anybody that could influence obviously the options, but I imagine, am I right in thinking that could be more of a concern in this kind of situation? 
Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, I think um, uh, anybody who is taking a a, a strong um, uh, drug, then um, which, which impacts the immune system, then any of the likely complications from that will be taken will be looked at by an underwriter. There's no two ways about it. I mean, there are two ways an underwriter would look at that. One is they would say, good, you know, good grief, they're having to take so much methotrexate that you know it, it, the, the complications um are not that far off actually defeating the the aim of the drug in the first place nice. um so uh yeah it, it, it's 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 important i mean methotrexate um if you are on methotrexate then you, actually i'll take, take a step back because it was something that you were saying that i just wanted to comment on actually and when when advisors do look up or, or they ask their client it, it could well be that their clients and it's the same with every drug under the sun i know we've we have talked about it for uh, in the past but maybe not for a long time but you'll often get a brand name yeah. and not the name of the core drug yes so you will find that when, when Catherine and I talk about methotrexate, it might actually be a branded something else. Yeah. So it is absolutely worth getting on on onto Google and uh, trying to find out what the core drug is. And and Google will tell you. That there's no two ways about that. Um, I think the other really important thing is with um, methotrexate, um, steroids. In fact, I've, you know, I would personally, as an underwriter, I would also say um blood pressure there's, there's one that kind of comes out and stands out to me okay. but it's, it's not just the by the way it's nothing to do with methotrexate but it's it's to do with you, you you get your name but it's also important to know what the dosage is yes absolutely so for instance with steroids methotrexate etc then you are looking you know underwriters won't tend to worry about more than five milligrams a day yeah if it goes over that, then you're starting at um, looking at um, additional ratings to the the basic rate, the basic um, rate for rheumatoid arthritis. Talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, but with 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 blood pressure as well. I mean, often underwriters, in fact, you'll see it on automated underwriting systems. They'll say, do you take more than one type of blood pressure treatment? Um, yeah. Because it is thought that if you take more than one, then the hypertension is more difficult to control and it might be something other than what is commonly known as essential hypertension it might be something else within the, the body's system that is uh, uh is causing you to actually have that that uh, high blood pressure so so the the but the dosage is important um you know if you get a sorry to talk about blood pressure just for a second but i'm just no, trying I'm to go it. it's, um, it's this business around uh, dosages if you see somebody on um for instance, with a blood pressure tablet and they are taking two and a half milligrams a day, th that is the, uh, the, the smallest amount that you can, that a doctor would prescribe. So therefore, one could say that as long as the blood pressure has been stable, then this, this individual does not have a serious issue. Yes. When you get, when you get much higher than, when you get into your, your 10s and 15s, then... It, it's more of a uh, potentially more of a worrying outcome that the that the underwriter will look at 
it's a little bit of a red flag, if I want to call it that. Um, yeah. So sorry. And I think that oh, makes sorry. sense. You know, I, I think that does make oh, sense does. as well. Like with any it's medication, the, yeah, yeah. The more the more you need it, you know, obviously the more that the whatever it is that you have is affecting the body. The way that that we're needing to try and change what's happening to bring it back to what would be classed as more of a normal kind of level of functioning. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, that would apply for the majority of things. It's it's like, you know, if somebody, if you take asthma, because obviously people generally think of asthma as quite, you know, straightforward in a sense, which generally it is. But, you know, if you've had someone who's needed just your regular blue and brown inhalers, you know, sort of like just really standard inhalers, yeah. that's probably not going to cause a concern. But if you have someone who's needed a lot of oral steroids or potentially recently as well to try and control the asthma, then that would be an indication that, you know, obviously, so something's changed, the symptoms have been quite strong. Um, so it, it would end up possibly being a different outcome in terms of these kinds of insurances. What Just, you know, whilst things are just getting back into what we would expect to sort of the normal way for being able to breathe. But I think it's interesting as well with like, sorry, saying that as well as that it's, it's all to do with obviously at the time that you, when we're looking at these insurances, the time that we're taking the insurance out. So it might be that something changes. I don't know with rheumatoid arthritis, if it can, obviously I imagine it can have flare ups and everything like that, but is yes, there a point that's where, you know, obviously somebody, you know, Rheumatoid arthritis, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume with it being an autoimmune condition, isn't something that can, in a sense, completely disappear. That is probably going to be something that stays long term. Is that correct? I think there have been cases where, I mean, I mean, flare ups of rheumatoid are well known, if yeah. you like. Um, um, in terms of burning itself out, then if I can think of other autoimmune diseases then i believe that i have seen cases where it's burnt out but oh. i have to say you know few and far between but i have yes. seen yeah um, yeah I you know it's certainly not a every week or every month that i see a case like that but i they they seem to the body somehow seems to sort it out um yeah. one or another um you know the immune system calms down through just the body itself sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah get into grips it, with it. So obviously I was just thinking there in terms of when we we're saying about potential premium increases. And, and, you know, I think it's fair to say that, you know, it's it's quite likely that there'd be some form of a premium increase um, within quite a, for quite a lot of people with rheumatoid arthritis. Would it that depends, be fair? Really, yeah. but we, I can I can touch on that a little bit later. Yeah. I don't think the... I don't think the ratings were particularly uh, of, a, of a surprise to... Uh, to anybody i mean we could, from a risk management framework we can already we're already starting to sift out those people with with kind of mild joint uh deformity or and and or pain yeah. uh, against those people who've got problems with their with with their heart and lungs you know completely yes. different uh end games if you like in terms of the disease itself and I, you know it, it, it goes that the first one uh, yeah. the the mild joint doesn't really impact uh, your life expectancy um, where the latter the heart and lungs certainly can depending yeah. so yeah you know it's 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 an interesting one absolutely shall I, shall I rumble on yeah yeah go for it my good old rumble um okay so in terms of the diagnosis it's, it's no surprises really that it's it's important to have a quick diagnosis so you can stop those those um uh, particularly on the joints uh get you know uh, making sure they don't get damaged any any more than they already are 
Um, and also in terms of if there, if you are sadly one of those 40% of rheumatoid sufferers who don't have symptoms that involve the joints, then um, a treatment program is put in place before, again, those, those organs aren't damaged too much. Yeah. So it is key. Unfortunately, um, there's, there's no one blood test or physical finding that can give you a, an immediate uh, diagnosis. So little bits, um, is, is, is a variety of things. But I know, Catherine, yourself uh, is a, um, very interested in blood readings and results yeah. and so forth. Then there are two um, ones that we, or, or uh, tests and therefore the results that we see an awful lot um, in um, the laboratory analysis. And those are um, an ESR. Yeah. sedimentation rate um and a crp um which is the c uh, uh protein reactive protein it's called yeah. um that's a protein that's made in the liver and both the esr and the crp um, increase with um if there is inflammation within the yeah. body again in terms of automatic automatic medical evidence so in other words what i mean by that is evidence that is obtained purely because of age some assured and product not because of a medical history then i i would say that raise the sr and raise crp um are incredibly rare i've seen them just kind of come up if you like randomly in a uh, in an auto automatic evidence um and also let's be fair yeah raised esr and raised crp uh, when we've got this loose association with increases with inflation inflation <laughs> sorry <laughs> inflammation <laughs> decreases with inflammation um it can be down to an awful lot of things yeah, can, uh, any type of inflammation of the body uh, in a in a body system can cause these. So you know, it's, it's down to your doctor to uh, to work on uh, exactly what is causing that problem. Um, ones we don't see from a from a uh, on a routine basis is the rheumatoid factor, which you may uh, see come up on reports, or indeed your client may mention it. And those again, um, those those are proteins made by your own immune system um that, that actually when, when they attack the healthy tissue okay so rheumatoid factor is much more of a uh probably you can guess that by the name a much more indicative of rheumatoid disease yeah. i know i know you do like long technical names catherine so i, I, I found this one with oh. you in mind especially fantastic go for it <laughs> I don't need to pronounce it myself, do I, afterwards? No, no, no. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, I think I had to practice for 10 minutes to pronounce it. <laughs> but um, either, either which way, there is another blood test, um, kind of in the offices of rheumatoid factor, and it's called um, anti-cyclic citrullinated peptide antibody. Um, do you know what? I'm convinced, what? sorry, I'm convinced sometimes with scientists or medical <laughs> people or anything like that they've turned around and gone do you know what i've spent six years of my life making this and finding this and identifying this i'm going to give it a name that is going to outdo all the other names i don't i don't think that anybody genuinely wants to name something like that 
what can I say? I, I believe it's the scientists to respond. And um, I'm, I'm not saying you're being controversial by, by having a look at the scientists, Catherine, but, you know. No, I am. I'm being controversial. Pick nicer names. None of us know what's going on. Well, like, like, a, lot, like a lot of scientists and, and probably more the doctors themselves, they, it's also known as an ant hyphen CCP. You see, that's fine. We can go so, with anti-CCC. There we go. <laughs> so, so, so there you go. But I thought I'd have to have a, a bit of a laugh on that one. Um, Absolutely. Right. And also, it's probably no surprises with joints involved that x-rays, um, uh, MRIs and, and ultrasound tests are, are a part of that diagnosis. Important thing, though, is to get, get to the disease quickly before it causes the damage that it can do. Um. Going back to are you, okay for me to start on treatments? Yeah, go for it. Okay, because we've we kind of touched on those a little bit ourselves uh, already. Um, sadly, and it kind of hinges on a point that you made, Catherine, that there is no cure. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't necessarily mean, uh, at least in my opinion, that the disease cannot burn itself out. Yeah. Okay. But there is no man-made or, or woman-made uh, uh, cure to be had. Um, and it's really the, the, all the treatments that we have at our disposal um, are all around slowing down the joint damage and, and, and the damage in, to other organs in the body. Um, now, I don't think it's quite as good as anticyclic citrullinated peptide antibodies. I have been practicing. I did warn you. Um, yeah. But the um, there's a group of treatments of which methotrexate is one called disease modifying anti-rheumatic drugs which isn't yeah. anywhere near as bad as but, that but It's also, got a nice acronym, though, that one, doesn't it? So it's got a nice acronym. It's DMARDS. Yeah. That's that's the kind of the, 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 the acronym for it. Um, and certainly when talking about uh, go-to treatments, the often often the very first medicine that is um, is given is, is methotrexate itself. Um, and if, and I'm be very surprised if the condition wasn't painful if you're going to start on methotrexate but also um, uh, it's often uh, a, a short course of steroids corticosteroids to relieve any pain is also given yeah um, amongst the categories of these uh, dmards uh, also ones that of the three that I've noted I think I've heard of two of them but again Catherine I, I know you um, you, you do a lot of cold face work. Um, hmm. First one is is that I haven't heard of is called left lunomide, left or lenomide. The third one I've noted down is hydro hydroclops hydroxychloroquine, which I believe yeah. you take if you're going to visit um, uh, countries where there's a mosquito problem. Okay. Um, and uh, sulfur salazine, which again I. I have heard of, but I can't quite put it into context. Context. So those are your your DMARDs, and as I say, methotrexate in particular. And I would imagine any of those. Sorry, yeah, any any of the other three you will see as well are um, part of the very first drugs taken when you do have a diagnosis of rheumatoid that obviously warrants quite a powerful job to can to help. Um, calm down the immune system. Yeah. Um, methotrexate, as we said already, um, it, it does. It's it's a powerful drug, and side effects can cause nausea, loss of appetite, sore mouth, diarrhea, headache, and hair loss. 
so um, it can be pretty nasty although i am assured by looking at things like the nhs site that that most people do tolerate it well so uh for goodness sake don't don't be put off if your doctor does uh, in the future uh yeah. give you a track because it's very very important i was to, gonna say as well Matt, I've just suddenly, something's popped into my head and I think we're having yeah. a scone and a scone moment as well. Um, <laughs> it's just going off on that because you say methotrexate and I say methotrexate. You say meth, yeah, you say methotrexate and I say methotrexate. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah. I'm sort of like wondering now, we're going to, we're going to have a divide, aren't we, between like maybe, I don't know, maybe underwriters are metho and um, no. advisors no. will be metho or I maybe don't. that, it, maybe it is just me. I'm going to be the only one saying methotrexate. Yeah, no, absolutely. It could, you know, as, as far if if you mentioned your version, I know what you mean. Let me put it that way. So, mm. you, you know, I say something again. I always think the the one most um, curious ones is urine and urine. Oh, who does urine? Yeah, so quite with respect. It, I've heard that more in the north of England than I have in no. Scotland. No, <laughs> absolutely not. I was thinking you were going to say it was like American or something. Well, <laughs> I was thinking, there wow. You go. There you go. I'm, I'm now creating the barrier between the north and the south. Bear in mind, I am from the southwest. Oh, I you <laughs> Originally. Originally. Right. You're just going to hear me every now and then in the podcast going, you vine. <laughs> just, it's just with me in the background. So apologies, anybody, for little snippets of you vine that's going to be happening. <laughs> so so that, it does sound a bit American, doesn't it? Let's be honest with you. Right, it, it's got that ein sound. Ein, ein, ein. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? I was going to make 2024 a little bit more, um, bear in mind the subjects that we talk about, a little bit more yeah. happy. So uh, yeah. I'm cutting off on 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 that. Absolutely. So, methotrexate, and also uh, it's it's worth if if you do come across a client with who is taking methotrexate, it's also worth making sure or asking the question as best you can in a very diplomatic way, is that um, because the drug can impact on your on your blood cells and your liver, then that that the client is attending for regular blood tests to monitor those. Yes. Uh, yeah. that, that's that's important now you you then come to the second class of drugs and as my understanding is it if the dmods are not working when you so, say dmods is yeah. that also anti-dnf so um anti was... dis, isn't it anti what is it anti i'm gonna have to quick google An anti, sorry the anti-ccp you mean they're not anti the one i was talking about no, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking anti-DNF antibody products, TNF inhibitors and stuff like that. Because no. I think sometimes we refer to some of the medication as anti, so Delta, November, Foxtrot. Yeah. DNF. We sometimes refer to some like that, but that would be, that's is that something different? I Obviously, think it's something different. It's, it's ringing, it is ringing vague memories. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something different. So these these DMARD ones are the disease modifying anti yeah antimatic drugs. Very, yeah, yeah. I, but they're not obviously not specific to rheumatoid disease because as I say hydroxychloroquine. I'm sure I've taken that on yes. um, foreign trips. So um, anyway, so so as I say, if if the DMARDs methotrexate group do not um, not working to the satisfaction of the doctors, then they will start on biological treatments. Yeah, and really, these these are quite interesting to be honest with you. They are quite new. This this range of drugs is quite new. And um, again, I know I said it a hundred times before, but it's one of the reasons 
why it is so fascinating to be an underwriter as these new drugs come along and make differences not only to people's lives which is what it's all about at the end of the day but also impacts underwriters decisions as well yeah um, which is which is uh, which is fantastic news but either way a, bi- a biological treatment really is a, is a, it's literally it's a biological substance that made, it's made from proteins or other substances produced by your own body mm. and if you think of what they're doing in cancer uh, treatments um yeah. these uh, substances that are natural to the body itself are becoming more and you know more and more research has been put into them and obviously with rheumatoid arthritis they're into a scenario where these are already available to people and are being used and also and, and with success so it is it is one of these kind of new drugs that says it's made for you concocted from your own body made mm. um that's the biological it, what, ones isn't it that's right yeah, yeah. they're made from your own proteins and, and other substances from your own body um and what they do is absolutely really no surprise given what we've talked about and the drugs and uh, the demo types of drugs but it, it blocks part of the immune system to reduce the inflammation yeah so that's a common outcome through all of these types of drugs it's just a different way of doing it um, and uh, these drugs, um, Dali Mimbulbab, should I say mm. that again? Oh, yeah, that one. That's a, a always fun. Mimbulbab. Yeah, I'm really glad you're <laughs> saying it, not me. Etanacept <laughs> and Infliximabab. Well, yeah, I was um, going to say, we usually say with a team, like there's certain things like, you know, if anybody tells you a medication name and it says statin, you know, whatever the name of, basically, if it ends in statin, then you know it's something probably to do with cholesterol with the heart or something like that something's going on if it's anything that's a mababab kind of thing at the end (laughs) then it's probably (laughs) which is so it's generally a a stronger medication and something's too autoimmune wise (laughs) absolutely absolutely um it's always best to leave it to the underwriter to try and uh, say the whole thing yes as opposed to mab yeah, <laughs> uh, um, statin just about can cope with, I think. So either yeah. which way, these these are new and uh, they're obviously working. And but I think one of the things for as a, a, a advisor and for that matter, the underwriter as well, to be aware that if they are used, generally it means that the traditional DMARDs are not getting the results that the doctor wants. Yes. Okay. Um, so. That is really as much as I really wanted to say about treatments. Was there anything there you wanted to add, Catherine? Or otherwise, I'll go into some ratings if if time... I think that's, yeah, no, we've got time for that. I think probably the key thing is, is just to make sure that, you know, from an advisor point of view, that I, you know, have everything that I would potentially need to prepare myself. So just uh, same for... So you double check my checklist in a sense. So obviously we'll be saying to people, when what were you diagnosed with? When were you diagnosed with it? Um, what treatments have you had? What kind of medications are you using? You know, are there things like any kind of mobility aids that are being in use? Is it is it affecting your ability to work, um, your day-to-day living? Yeah. Um, things like that. You know, they're all really useful. And obviously, as you were saying, in terms of the medication, try your hardest to get the name of it. I always say, you know, sometimes people say these names and you're just like, you're listening, you're just like, really? I just, there's no way I can get that. Sometimes if you kind of type what you think they've said into Google, you'll then find the right name for it. Yep. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's just a case of saying to somebody, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry, I'm, I'm not familiar with the name of that medication. Absolutely. After this, you know, after we've spoken, 
do you mind, you know, if I send you an email and introduce myself, do you mind just replying with the actual spelling of it, obviously, that you can see on your medication box? And most people are absolutely fine doing that because they want to make sure that they're getting it right. You know, they don't want to be getting anything wrong with the insurance. You know, they're, they're very much people who are very heightened and aware that, you know, yeah. they possibly they do need insurance. Um, so they really, really do want to get it the right first time round. Um and obviously, you know, just just clarify that. But I think it's really important as well to know and to establish for you as your, your own self and as your company, um, if you are an advisor, is to sort of what you will and won't do in terms of sort of like the information you'll get before you go and check things with an insurer. Because say like with this one, with rheumatoid arthritis, I would personally say that the medication name is something that I would really, really want to have before I did any pre-sales research. Because as with many, many things, when you speak to an underwriter, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but when you speak to an underwriter, if you say someone with rheumatoid arthritis and they say, well, what medication is it? And you go, well, I don't know. It could be, you know, you know, it's, it's could be a small rating, you know, a very small payment right through to a decline because we just, we don't have that information in front of us. You know, some of the, the medication for rheumatoid arthritis is significantly important to what that underwriting outcome is going to be and to what insurances are available. Would you say that's fair, Matt? I would, I would say so. I mean, I, it, it, I don't think you would expect um, me to say anything else. But the um, underwriters, I mean, you've, you've highlighted a really important thing, to be honest, Catherine. Underwriters like to look at cases in the round, yeah. which can often, um, in other words, with all the information is what I suppose I'm saying for in the round. And of course, that that is um, it can lead to criticism from advisors because why is this underwriter going back to the GP for the third time type of comment? But underwriters like to look at it in the round because they like to give the fairest outcome possible. Yeah, there's reason absolutely. reason why. And certainly treatment um, allows the underwriter to position um the the rating if indeed a rating is, is required uh on the case and i think hopefully one of the things i was saying there about a if you're on on methotrexate or a dmard anyway that 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 that's a red flag and if you're on one of the biological treatments as well then that's a red flag plus yeah yeah so so that the, both of those do really help uh, the, the underwriter i think your absolute classic one with rheumatoid is um you've got rheumatoid arthritis do you have i don't know how you put it i mean you're the you're, you're the expert in terms of talking to clients but um you'd want to know is is it confined to the joints yeah is it confined to it's absolutely sorry, i missed that how did i miss that the body yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, because, you know, I hope it goes without saying to our listeners that the very different outcomes, yeah. or it can be a very different outcome. Um, and just, just to go back, something which I know you've, you've, you've agreed with um, and you do anyway from previous conversations, it's that dosage if you can. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just, I know we're getting towards like the end of the podcast here, but um, just something that you said as well, I think it's really important, like when you're saying about like going back to the GP for the third time. Now, I think there's a bit of a mix there in terms of what's happening. So, you know, I think some people automatically assume if underwriters are going back for further information that they're trying to find out ways to not insure someone. Um, and yeah, you know, and I, I think, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people would think that. And you know what? And in, in some ways, you know, I certainly can't say that that doesn't happen. But I think 
what happens quite a lot of the time is when people don't necessarily realize this or maybe believe it is that a lot of the time the under eyes, are, they're trying really hard to insure the person. Yeah. But because um, the whole point of underwriters is to insure people, it's, you know, people get it wrong at way right around price. sometimes. Yeah. yeah, the right, insure people at the right price that's fair to the person and to the insurer. And, you know, it isn't, I would say, I say, I can't say for him, but, you know, an underwriter's job is to insure. It's not to decline. You know, it's, it's you know, they are trying to insure the person. So when it is going to the GP for further information, sometimes it's a case of them going, look, we need this because we don't have the picture. You haven't given us all the information. And it's so, so hard. I know we were chatting about this before the podcast as well, Matt, about the amount of pressure on the NHS. It is incredibly hard, the amount of pressure that's on the NHS right now. And you know, and in terms of the GP, the first thing in the GP's mind isn't completing an insurance form. It is serving the people that are going to see them. And when they're filling out these forms, they are doing it. But you know, sometimes they're trying to bundle it in with every, you know, on top of everything else they're doing. And, you know, they might miss something out that's just a specific word that the underwriters need. And and it can be quite hard. You know, sometimes what insurers will do in the underwriters, they will do targeted reports. So instead of asking the very generic set of questions, they'll maybe say to the GP, right, we know that this person has this condition. Can you tell us da 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 da, da? Which can sometimes be really, really useful, but they're not always used. And obviously it is very dependent. And I'm, I'm sure there's very specific reasons as to why sometimes it's a blanket document rather than sometimes it's a targeted one and things like that. Um, so when we are having that, and, and certainly even for my company, we have a lot of the time where they have to go back for further information. And, you know, sometimes you're just there going, oh, come on, you know, kind of thing. Can we not just sort this out? But ultimately, you know, for the underwriter, you know, I think people must forget as well that they're a person, they've got their job. And if they make a decision without all the information, you know, that could be their job at risk. And, you know, they, they certainly don't want to risk their job, their, their income, their livelihood. They don't want to put a person, you know, sorry, have that awful situation where someone thinks they're insured when they shouldn't be insured or the, the policies revoked or, you know, anything like that because there wasn't the right information. You know, there's a potential for for non-disclosure or anything like that. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's one of the things I just wanted to sort of like say with that, you know, that the further information thing, it does happen, but it's, you know, Whilst it's frustrating whether or not you're the applicant or the advisor or the underwriter, you know, it's it's going to have been needed. And ultimately, the way that I see it as well is that assuming that that happens and assuming that we have the other thing that obviously, I, as everybody will know, I do have an issue with the transparency of decisions of underwriting at times. There's a lot of development in this space, which has been fantastic, but there's still a lot of way to go. Um but ultimately, it does mean that when that person gets that insurance, the, the underwriters had the GP report, they've had the further information, they've offered terms. The likelihood, if there's ever a claim that there's been a non-disclosure, is incredibly low because yes. they've had everything in front of them. So I always say to people when it goes for medical reports, look, I know this is kind of a pain in the backside, but I actually quite like it because it means they're going to, you know, no one can say you've not told us your exact medical history. And if there's anything in there that you don't remember, then it's important that you know about it. Oh, sorry, my dog just barks and absolutely terrified me. Um, I was like, oh, there might be something in there that's not right and we need to correct it. Because again, if there's something in there that isn't correct, then if there's a claim 20 years down the line, there's no way we can refute the error that's in your records. Um, so, so they are a pain. There's method in madness to them in many ways. But, um, you know, I was going to say, 
I certainly will say at times, you know, sort of like, oh, I wish the underwriters would do this and do that. But at the same point, you know, we do have to give underwriters some really, really slack at times because they they can only, it's it, their job, they can only work with the information that's in front of them. And if it's simply not there, then they can't make a decision. Absolutely. I mean, you, 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 this that particular, sorry, this particular part of our podcast, I tell you what, we could go for another hour on. I was going to say, I just tried to behave myself. I was thinking I'm going off on a bit of a preaching sermon here. No, so I'm no, going to no, try and stop no, myself. I don't, I don't think you are. I just, I just think it's very, very important. I mean, if um, I can absolutely assure you, underwriters don't go back for information to decline a case. Yes. Um, you know, people who think that, um, I'm afraid, are very, very wrong. Uh, I can assure you that if the underwriter could make a decision which they think is fair and reasonable for the client on the information that they have, they will. Information is asked for because A, and generally because the rating or the terms that could be given would be so, could be one and a half times the rate up to five times the rate just to uh, you know it could be anywhere and that is not fair that's not treating customers fairly that's not looking after the consumer whatsoever um i I would say and again catherine maybe this is we could put something on a on a a, 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 another podcast at some stage around this area but insurers some insurers and you'll know who they are i'm absolutely sure will a much more um amenable to taking information from the client if the yes. client knows it where others must have it from the doctor yes absolutely um and you know th- th- that that's quite a wide and there's quite a wide difference in that practice in the marketplace um personally if the inf- I, I have always been um as an underwriter for many 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 years uh, an advocate that if the client knows what you want or knows, is likely to know the answers to the questions that you want ask them yeah not to go down the uh, the the gp route one it costs a load of money two it costs delays three you know it could well be at the end of the day the, the client says i can't be bothered with this can't be bothered waiting another you know two months three months um I'm, I'm i'm gonna go elsewhere yeah or, or not take out cover at all um so all i would say is if underwriters go back they do it with the customer in mind not to be a pain in the ass but also remember at the end of the day if they you know it, it costs money to go back to a gp yeah it costs money in terms of the fee that the gp requires it also costs money in underwriting time as well of course yeah and therefore, from a business perspective, it makes no sense to go back, particularly if it's going back to decline, find for some information to decline, because obviously the premium, no premiums are paid, and therefore there is no money coming in to cover the costs of the underwriter and all the fees that they've wrapped up. Yeah. So let's leave it. Let's leave it at that, just for the just for today. Absolutely. Um, well, we've got we've got about five minutes to go through okay. your ratings let, and let two case studies. <laughs> So, okay, looking at rheumatoid arthritis, uh, underwriters tend to um, categorise it 
and you'll have heard this type of rating system before, um, into mild, moderate, and severe. In terms of uh, the mild category, uh, the underwriter will look at uh, whether the client uh, gets minimal pain from the disease, slight pain or stiffness in the peripheral joints, um, whether there's any uh, swelling or deformity, and whether they're uh, able to carry carry out their activities of daily living, which, of course, you, you touched on a few minutes ago, Castro. Yeah. Um, so if, if you can answer no to most of those, so minimal pain, slight pain or stiffness, no, uh, no or minimal swelling, no deformity, able to carry out your LDLs, which follows on from the rest, then the rating gen for the, from the most comprehensive uh, manual in the marketplace, the rating is up to plus 50 for yeah. life and critical illness, and you'd exclude it from income protection. Yeah. So theoretically, you might get standard rates. Yeah. Because it's up to plus 50. In terms of the, the second category that's used, uh, it's it, moderate. Um, again, uh, the, the pain and stiffness is, can be described as moderate. Uh, it's more extensive joint involvement, slight deformity or limitation of movement, and the infected joints can carry out most ADLs or all of them. And then you've got a rating for life and kick um, of 75 if um, rheumatoid is an insured condition, um, then that may be excluded and you may get, um, if again, if loss of independence uh, is in as part of the CI package, then that may get excluded too. But unfortunately, IP is a decline. Okay. In terms of the severe, an underwriter would categorize this as chronic active disease, no complete freedom from pain, moderate or marked deformities with serious restrictions of movement and impaired impairment of function, and is able to perform only a few ADLs with assistance, then the rating will be, any guesses? All informed, um, educated guesses? I'll let you tell me. Rateable up to plus 150. So in other words, two and a half times the rate. Yep. So they are they are quotable is really what I was trying to get at there. Yes, um, are quotable. Um, you, you're very much going to exclude um, an insured condition of rheumatoid or, or loss of independent existence from critical illness and IP again would be a decline. We talked about um, steroids and if you are taking more than five migs a day, milligrams a day, sorry, um, then the underwriter is will be adding at least plus 25 um, to those decisions that I've already talked about for life and kick. Um, and if they're on stories, then IP would be decline regardless of severity. Okay. Yeah. So it's an important thing with steroids there. Now, if you do have some of those complications that we talked about, so um, the, the nodules or eye symptoms, vasculitis, um, lung disease, um, you are going to increase any of the loans that we've already spoke to by a minimum of plus 75 uh, for life and kick and decline IP. Anything else um, would be declined for all benefits. So I hope people can follow that. Um, basically, 
in terms of life insurance, um, when you have disease of the joints only, then you are likely to get, you, you should be able to get cover yeah. up to a maximum of say two and a half times the rate. Um, if you want kick, then you're going to have some exclusions, potentially, depending on what the kick actually covers in terms of medical conditions, you can get some exclusions in there. But IP is generally, unless you've got very mild disease, is, is a decline, sadly. If you do have the um, uh, disease that impacts uh, other, other areas of the body that we talked about earlier, if you remember, then that is very likely to be declined across the board unless they are unless the disease is very minimal in those other parts of the body. Does that does that help? And does that does that sound reasonable to you as an advisor, Catherine? I think that sounds um okay, you know, in terms of what we would be expecting. Um so then just do a couple of case studies. Yeah. Um so two case studies. So um first one is that we had a couple um in their late twenties, they needed life insurance for a mortgage. So one had been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in their late teens. So they'd had it um for about 10 years or so and it affected a couple of their joints, and they did have mild medication. Um, so I know we've just been talking about all the loadings and things like that. So just to give an idea, so I say these couple, late 20s, the resumatoid arthritis, there is medication. So for £135,000 of joint decreasing life insurance over 26 years, the premium was around £15 per month. So when we do talk about the fact that there will be increases to premiums, well, I think what's really important is to say that, you know, obviously an increase to premiums never nice. You know, obviously we'd always love to like not have that, but it also doesn't mean that it's going to be silly amounts of money. And I think that's really key, especially when we're talking life insurance, life insurance at its basic point for, for the basic rates in a sense that insurers will charge is incredibly low. Um, in some cases, you know, it's almost a bit like, how are they doing it that cheap? You know, and sometimes, oh, yeah, um, you know, it, it is questionable sometimes you're thinking, how, how are you, you know, but anyway, um, yeah. so, you know, it's just to say that, you know, that's 15 pounds per month for two people to be insured that way. So it's, it's not, it's not, you know, obviously, you know, this was somebody who had rheumatoid arthritis, but it was quite mild. So I'm going to do another example of someone where it was affecting them more. So the next case study is someone that was in their early thirties. They had rheumatoid arthritis and they also had lupus and they were taking strong medications for this. And in terms of where they were affected, it was their knees, feet, hips, shoulders, hands and their skin. But the medications had meant that they'd become much, much better. So obviously the body had reacted incredibly well to having that medication. So again, we had a decreasing life insurance um, policy for mortgage. It was £290,000 over 35 years, and the price was £30 a month. So I think, you know, I would hope that for a lot of people, if they were in that situation, if you're an advisor with a client in that situation, it's just sort of like trying to sort of share that it doesn't, it's not necessarily going to be ridiculous prices. There are times that prices will be silly, and it's important to be transparent. And, you know, I certainly say to people sometimes, you know what? I think this is silly, this price, you know, and I'm I'm not sure what to even suggest in a sense, you know, but it's up to you ultimately if you would want to have it or not. So I think it's really important to to just always check. I think that's the main thing is just sort of like a summary of that to just say, double check what you think is going to, um, what is going to be, you know, there's no hardship with a lot of advisors. There's no fee for them doing the research, for them trying, you know, the only time that with, with a lot of um, advisors um, that you would be paying anything would be actually, you know, 
once you start paying the premiums in many ways. So once it's already gone through all this medical stuff, so you already know the decision there and then. Some advisors do have different situations where they will ask for like a fee. Um, and you, you know, and it's it's you know, each advisor firm to themselves. There can be benefits to either which way, pros and cons, as with anything in life, pros and cons to all different ways. So just reach out, find someone that, that I always say as well, the key things to find someone you feel comfortable talking with. Because if you find an advisor firm that you kind of think, mm, I'm not too sure, then you're probably going to be thinking, mm, not too sure the whole way along. So you might not feel confident in what they do at the end. But if you feel comfortable with them from the start, there's somebody who's really listening to you and um, they just give you that good feel, you know, a bit of a gut instinct, then it probably means that when you do get a decision through that you'll probably feel more confident that it's the right one for you. So it's just all about managing time and expectations and what you're wanting to achieve. But uh, I hope those case studies sound okay to you, Matt. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well done, well done, you. I think is easy. Thank you. <laughs> finding a um, a solution which is um, you know which works. So great. That's that's what's needed. Absolutely. Well, that's what's uh, that's what we're here for. So we are at the end. So thank you everybody for listening. And as always, thank you, Matt, for joining me. Okay. Uh, next time I'm going to be doing an overview of shareholder protection insurance. So I say at the moment, I'm kind of alternating. I'll chat with Matt and do a deep dive on a risk one one time. And then the next time for a little bit, I'm going to do some specific product deep dives just to sort of like really highlight what they are some of the really key essential bits that you need to know. There is going to be more than what I can put in a podcast, but, you know, it's just giving you those initial bits. So how things can work and how they can work well for people, but also where they can go wrong and what we want to do to try and avoid the going wrong situation. Um, as always, you can get a CPD certificate for having listened to this episode. Just visit the website practical-protection.co.uk to get it. And we can do the CPD certificates uh, thanks to our sponsors, the Ox members. So thank you very much, Matt. That's been really interesting. And, um, and I will speak to you soon. Yep, yep. Take care in the meantime. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.